I think it, it calls into question the strength of the economy a little bit that we're that we're seeing. Is it as strong as GDP says it is, or is it stagnating or even contracting like GDI says? That's the kind of gap that we see here. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to IBKR Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Praisman. It's my pleasure to welcome back to the IBKR Podcast studio, Michael Normile, Nasdaq's U.S. economist. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back. So today we're going to go discuss GTP and GDI. And, you know, I think most people have heard the term gross domestic product or GDP in the news a lot. But, you know, another important measurement, the gross domestic income or GDI. Could you explain to our listeners what both the GDP and GDI are to our listeners and what they measure? Sure. So in a sense, it's pretty simple. They're, they're both measures of output for the U.S. economy. They just take two different approaches to it. So GDP measures the market value of what we produce. This is called the quote-unquote expenditure approach, while GDI measures what's earned and producing it, whether that's wages or interest or profit. So in theory, they should be exactly the same because every dollar spent is a dollar of income for someone else. But there's always a statistical dis discrepancy. Usually it's pretty small. And that's because of methodological differences, like using different data sources and collecting data at different times of the quarter. So how have um, GDP and GDI performed over the past 12 months? Well, you know how I said it usually has a small statistical discrepancy. So Q2 of this year is actually the biggest gap between the two measures in their 75-year history. So many of the listeners, like you said, are probably aware real GDP growth, it's been pretty strong. It's up uh, to 2.5% in Q2. And that's the highest it's been in five quarters. GDI, on the other hand, it's been it's at negative 0.5, and it's been negative for three straight quarters. So GDI is painting a much weaker picture of the economy than GDP. So from what you said before, this is certainly not normal that they diverged in performance. Has this happened within recent time that, that you know of, or just really sort of uh, we're kind of in, in brave new world right now with these uh, two indicators? diverging? So historically, they do tend to be very close. The, on average, the difference between GDP and GDI, historically, it's negative 0.01 percentage points, so essentially zero. That's mostly because sometimes GDI is higher, sometimes GDP is higher, so it kind of cancels out over time. But 80% of the time of their kind of 75-year history that we were talking about, they're within plus or minus one percentage point of each other. So this is, a, like you said, a, a bit of a, an outlier um, that we're experiencing now. What do you think the difference in performance between the two could possibly mean for the economy? I think it, it calls into question the strength of the economy a little bit that we're, that we're seeing. Is it as strong as GDP says it is, or is it stagnating or even contracting like GDI says? That's the kind of gap that we see here. That's why it's often best in practice to take the average of the two, which is called gross domestic output. And so if you do that, it's the economy is seeing low but positive growth, which you know might be a better read than uh, just looking at GDI or just looking at GDP by themselves. And I want to kind of you know take a step back and, and maybe a little bit more of a paint picture for the for the listener and 
the different government agencies that sort of look at this data. And one of those is, you know, the Bureau of Economic Analysis or the BEA. What function do they perform and how do they use the data, you know, coming from the GDP and the GDI and, and even other sources to help people understand the U.S. economy? Well, I mean, as an economist, I'd say they're very important. Uh, the BEA, along with the Bureau of Labor Statistics and Census Bureau, they're some of the, the key federal agencies that collect and distribute statistics on the state of the U.S. economy. And so the data they provide, it gives people the hard data necessary to understand the economy and, and make decisions, when whether that's as a business or an investor or an individual. And then, of course, it's also helpful for the Fed to guide monetary policy. Now, you had mentioned earlier that the reason that there's usually some you know small differences between GDP and GDI is just sort of the timing of the data being collected and, and maybe slightly different data points. The data used for both of them, has it ever been revised and if so, like, what are some of the reasons that they would revise the numbers? So, in fact, uh, it's constantly getting revised. So the first print of GDP that we get, it's called the advance estimate. And then it's followed a month later by the preliminary estimate. And then a month after that by the quote unquote final estimate, except the final estimate isn't actually final. It gets revised for years after the fact. Uh, so at the end of September, the BEA is doing their benchmark update and it's going to be revising GDP from 2017 to 2022. So, you know, we're looking back as far as six years at this point uh, with, with GDP getting revised. And so part of the reason for revisions is some of the data being used, it's on the initial releases, it's based on partial or estimated data. So as that underlying data is more fully available, then revisions are made, but there are also method methodological improvements that are integrated on occasion. And one such uh, methodological improvement, it's pretty relevant right now. And that's because the BEA is going to start counting interest paid by Fed Federal Reserve banks toward GDI. So in the past, that just wasn't figured into the calculation. It wasn't a mistake. It was just they just didn't incorporate it into the calculation for GDI now that they've realized that they should. Is that a correct statement? Yeah, exactly. The Fed has only started paying interest on the reserves that were held there since 2008. But of course, as everyone knows, right, the a lot of that time period, rates were basically zero or close to zero. So it wasn't a lot of, a lot of money. Uh, but now with the Fed funds rate, you know, in the five and a quarter, five and a half percent range, then it's starting to add up. So what effect will adding the net interest payments into the GDI have, you know, on the, I guess, on the revised number? And do you think adding them in provides a better picture or is it just more of a manipulation of like the numbers? It's going to be pretty significant. So current estimates suggest this change alone should shrink the gap between GDP and GDI by almost half. So as I mentioned, the Fed, they pay interest on deposits that banks keep with the Fed. And so now with Fed funds rate up, this has gotten pretty significant and they're now paying more interest uh, than they're receiving on their assets. So their net interest payments are estimated at well over $200 billion at this point. I don't think it's anything nefarious going on. It's actually making the DEA's treatment of the Fed more consistent with how they treat other financial corporations. And since the Fed's only been able to pay interest since 2008, and a lot of those years didn't really add up to much, it wasn't a big issue that it wasn't counted. But now that we're getting to be a pretty significant significant amount of money, then it's going to start giving us a more accurate picture of the economy. Got it. So, so it's a positive thing that they're adding it in and, and making the, the GDI more of a reflection of the actual economy versus prior to it, when rates were, you know, either the Fed wasn't paying interest or the rates were super low, it didn't really matter either way. But obviously the last, uh, last year or so has been pretty significant changes as far as uh, the economy. Yeah, exactly. Now, how do you think that you know, GDP and GDI will perform over the next 12 months? 
Well, I think we're heading into a bit of a, a weaker period here in the next couple of quarters. I mean, for one, of course, we have student loan payments beginning again with the COVID era break that people had coming to an end in October. And then we, of course, have a potentially a government shutdown ahead of us here. And then now with the UAW being added to the list of industries that have seen work stoppages. So all these, you know, they could be the severity of them. It's unknown at this point. Um, so that is something that could be a big deal, could not be as much of a big deal, depending on how the you know government shutdown is resolved or the, the worker work stoppages. But beyond that, of course, you know, we're, we're coming up on about a year lag from when the Fed was pushing through its 75 basis point rate hikes last summer and fall. And so that's that's getting to the point where those lagged effects of those hikes are reaching kind of their peak impact. And so as we get into next spring and summer, the impact of those hikes will start to fade and we'll probably start seeing some rate cuts. So both of those should add a little tailwind to the economy. Uh, but I'd expect growth to be relatively slow uh, even then. So I think in short, kind of getting into a bit of a, a weaker period immediately ahead of us here, but uh, picking up after that in the, the back half of that 12-month uh, period. Overall, if we're talking this time next year, you kind of expect it to be a little bit more of a positive impact to the later of the next 12 months. Yeah, exactly. Before we um, let you go, are there, do you have any other thoughts on you know GDP and GDI? Well, I think it's just uh, for anyone interested in following the economy, uh, GDI shouldn't be overlooked. It's worth keeping an eye, an eye on it, but since it comes out a month after we get GDP for each quarter, it doesn't get quite as much uh, attention, except for a little bit right now with uh, the historically large gap between the two. But in general, I think it's an important indicator to watch. The NBER looks at it when they're dating uh, recessions in the U.S. too. So it's definitely a useful indicator to watch to get a, a gauge of how the economy is doing. This was great, Michael. Thank you for coming by. You know, for anyone interested in, in more material from uh, Michael Normile and NASDAQ, you can see our previous podcasts from on our website. Just go to Under Education and click on Podcasts, and you can view you know previous podcasts from NASDAQ as well as any of our other contributors. I want to remind everyone that you can find all of our podcasts on our website, also on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Podbeam, Google Podcasts, and Audible. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Jeff Prazen with Interactive Brokers. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry, or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice.